Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Who of you saw the video that was on uh, social media oh, with, with that Whisper Challenge? Anybody? Did anybody see that video? No? I did. Okay, hopefully somebody did. Anyway, that was so much fun. And if you are having friends over, I, I challenge you, do that game. It is just the best time. We had a really good time with it. Oh, we had an absolutely yeah. great time. Here's what we learned through that is that communication is vital in relationships. How many of y'all are going to agree that communication is necessary? It is needed. And when there's a breakdown in communication, sometimes it's quite humorous and we find some funny things, but it can also cause frustration. How many of you can agree that when things aren't clearly stated or defined, that communication breaks down, there's frustration, right? Lauren and I have been married for almost 12 years now, which means that in many circles, we are considered the foremost minds on the subject of marriage. And, um, just absolutely brilliant on the topic. I'm totally kidding. There is no seriousness to my statement whatsoever. We are learning this just like everybody else. So yeah, he said that we've been married almost 12 years in May. So uh, we started dating uh, June of 2006. We got engaged the following November. We got married the following May. So yes, your math is correct. We dated, engaged, married in 11 months uh, really fast. When you know, you know. Yeah, when you know, you know. Uh, our parents are not crazy promised you. Uh, but we were really, really young. And when we were preparing this, we were kind of laughing at each other uh, when we thought we were so mature. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I always think the people that knew us then, they were probably rolling their eyes at us. And I, I don't blame them. No, no I don't blame least, them. But, yeah. Uh, but we both came in a relationship with uh, a relationship with Christ, right? When we started dating, we both knew Jesus and we had that relationship with Jesus. And, and what we what we found was, was we were wanting a deeper relationship with Christ, right? But we didn't bring that into our relationship. Um, there was no real understanding of spiritual intimacy or desire for that in, in the beginning, especially on my end, right? I, there were a lot of times when Lauren was asking for those things and I was not reciprocating, right? I was not giving back into that side. Of it. And so the reality is knowing what needed to be done and knowing what should be done in a healthy marriage and it not happening, nobody knew it, but I felt like a failure, right? And, and I felt like I had seriously dropped the ball when it came to spiritual intimacy and in, in, in our growth together. See, God was blessing our our, the ministry we were involved in and blessing our marriage. So we thought, right? We, we felt like we had a good marriage. People liked us. Uh, I think, so yeah. We thought, you know, we, people, we were like, man, this is good. Things are going well. But I knew something was lacking and something was missing. Uh, and for me, it, it was... It was definitely the fact that, that I personally wasn't growing spiritually the way I should be. Now, mind you, I was straight out of Bible college, right into a full-time ministry position. And I was so focused on making the marriage work that I personally neglected uh, spiritual growth of myself. I was pursuing Lauren in a very selfish way, uh, in a very unhealthy way in our marriage. In fact, I, I joke and often said, I didn't have time for devotions in my life because Sports Center was on when I woke up and Sports Center was on when I went to bed. It was like a constant theme, you know, yeah, coming and going in the morning. I would tell people, honestly, in the beginning of our marriage, I'd be like, Sports Center is our child. I mean, that's like, it was on in the morning, it was, it was on the afternoon, which I love sports, so I didn't it, like 
hate and it. So that was yeah. something, yeah, and that was something that started in my life at a young age. I remember one time my dad coming out in the morning and I had Sports Center on, and his words to me were like, Oh, are you doing your quiet time? Are you doing your devotions? And I was like, Huh. I feel convicted. Thank you. Uh, you know, but. but the reality was is that I was struggling in my own personal spiritual growth. Therefore, I put up this wall and this barrier that did not allow for any spiritual intimacy between the two of us. And so the questions kept nagging me, what's wrong with me? You know, things of that nature and, and what's wrong with us? Isn't it supposed to be easier than this? Obviously, God created us to have this, this need and this want of spiritual intimacy, but, but I had this wall and this thing that was put up that didn't allow it. How many of you, don't, you don't have to raise your hands, but feel like you can relate to that, right? You see, God created us uh, to want to have time with each other in, in spiritual intimacy. So how, and some of you may be going, man, I would love to read the Bible with my spouse. I would love to spend time in prayer with my spouse, but it seems as if every time we try to make that happen, there's a wall that's there or this invisible thing that keeps us from having this, this actual sense of unity within our spiritual growth. Here's the reality. Without spiritual intimacy, our marriages will flounder. Um, I know firsthand how challenging it can be to pursue spiritual intimacy with your spouse, but God designed our marriages to deepen our joy in him as we dig into the goodness of the gospel with our most precious partner, because marriages should reflect the gospel. Absolutely. And we can read in Ephesians 31 where Paul is actually referencing the very first marriage uh, when he quotes Genesis 2.24. And it says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And then he goes on in the next verse, in verse 32, to really tell us what our marriages should be, that they are a reflection of Christ in the church. He says this, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Here's the thing. God wants our unions, our marriages to be a reflection of the gospel. He wants them to be a living, breathing reflection of the gospel. And if we work towards spiritual intimacy, we will experience and testify of God's love to us in Christ, to the world around us. But too often, I have to think that spiritual intimacy does not characterize our experience. And the fleeting joy, excitement, fun, all that good stuff in the beginning can sometimes fade with the honeymoon. Or if we do, like for us, for example, if we do taste some spiritual intimacy, it often comes in unpredictable fits and starts. And then ultimately, it leaves us frustrated and uh, closes the door to the possibility of that once again. Now, it's exactly why we have to yearn or long for spiritual intimacy. We have to long for oneness, right? Paul references, as we talked about last week out of Genesis 2, that we become one flesh, right? It's this unifying thing. Yet in our world, it, it is a constant fight and struggle to keep that oneness, right? We have to long for that. See, because marriage is a reflection of the gospel, because marriage is, is a reflection of the, the union between Christ and the church, and it's supposed to be that reflection, the enemy, Satan, wants to destroy our marriages, right? And he's going to do anything he can. That's why we see the divorce rate where it is inside the church and outside of the church, because either way, it is a, supposed to be a reflection of the love Christ has for his church, whether from the church or not from the church. So the, the devil is after our marriages. He knows if he can destroy the home and destroy the marriage union, ultimately he can tear down uh, a spiritual growth in the individual and cause a separating, which then depletes our, our, our ability to reach the world around us, right? 
And so what we find is that he's going to use any tactic possible. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be alert and of sober mind, right? He said, be aware your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour, finding someone to devour, right? So if we're not aware, if we're not paying attention to those things, we become an easy target. Our marriages become an easy target. Now, some of you may be going, I'm not married. How does this apply? How does this relate? Hear me. Anything you can learn in relationships is going to be a benefit to you long-term. I promise you that. So as we jump into the word today, let's, let's keep that in mind. Here's what we find is that Satan's gonna use different schemes. We are all flawed people, right? And so we are pulled away by our own temptations and desires. So he's going to attack each of us from different angles and different directions. Some of you may have grown up in, in, in rough home lives and, and the reality is there's not very many spiritually intimate relationships to look to as examples. And when you do find one, you find out that there is not a one size fits all approach to spiritual intimacy. It doesn't, there's not a magical solution or a formula that we can follow and walk through. But, but when, you, when you try and you jump in, you find that growing children or growing responsibilities uh, often sap our energy, right? How many of you know that, man, uh, I, I was doing great as a single person and had lots of energy and I thought I was tired and then I got into a serious relationship and started investing time there and then responsibilities at work grew and then I go, man, now I really am tired. And then you get married and, and then you have children and then it's this continual, you go, man, as this grows, I feel more, more and more tired. I have less and less energy. Plus social media creates unrealistic expectations of marital bliss. And we bring our own pathology as well. After the first husband and wife fell into Satan's lives, we we see that they experienced a lethal disruption in their spiritual intimacy. Something unique happens that that we can read real fast in Genesis is that Adam abdicated his responsibility both to God and to Eve. And it says, the woman you gave me, this is what Adam's saying to God, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Nothing will deflate spiritual intimacy faster than blaming God for the woman you're married to and then blaming that woman for the sin you just committed, right? I mean, goodness gracious, there is a complete depletion of spiritual intimacy of anything they had in that moment. In fact, it reveals itself through the fact that it says they hid themselves, right? They now hid their bodies from each other. The two that were once naked and unashamed are now going, I need to hide myself from you, right? Because there is zero spiritual intimacy in that moment now because Adam, in all of his wisdom, said, it's your fault, God, that you gave me this woman and look what she made me do, right? That is not a recipe for spiritual intimacy. I'll just throw that out there. But here's what we find. There's a world of hope here. If you find it difficult to consistently connect spiritually with your spouse, can I tell you something? You're completely normal. You are completely normal. So let me just, first of all, give you that sigh of relief of like, oh, okay. You're normal. I, I know for me that I really struggled in our early years of marriage with this. Um, I wasn't sure how to handle someone uh, not just needing, but wanting me to lead them spiritually. Sure, I was, I was in full-time ministry in my entire adult life now, right? I came in, I was in youth ministry right away. And it was easy for me to be in front of people and leading a larger group and all of those kind of things. But when it came down to the intimacy that is required within our marriage spiritually, I failed. I don't even wanna say I struggled, I failed, so we had to learn things and we had to work through things. And, and so there's a few things that we're gonna look at. Today, we're gonna to talk through six keys to creating spiritual intimacy. Yes, there are six of them. I promise you, it's not gonna be here all day, uh, just only half the day. So thanks for being here with us. I'm just kidding. Let's pray. Father, 
We love you and we thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, that you love us individually. But God, you also love us in our marriages. Lord, you love our relationships. Father, and you want to see us grow and flourish together. You created us for one another. And so, Lord, today I pray that as we take time and go through your word and learn different things to help us to grow in spiritual intimacy. Lord, I pray that you allow our marriages and relationships to go to a deeper level than they've ever been. We thank you for it and give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing today we want to talk about is this. Keep an open heart. Keep an open heart. Here's, here's the, 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 the reality is um, when we don't experience spiritual closeness, we hope for. It's all too easy to close off our hearts and shut down. I know a lot of times that there is that desire from one side or the other going, man, I wish we would spend this time together. I wish we would pray together. And when it doesn't happen, it becomes easy to cause that, allow that frustration to cause us to shut down and to close off our heart. Here's the fear and, and the worry that comes with that is that we don't just shut off our hearts to the person, but we then close down from the Lord and we shut off from what God wants to say and what he wants to do. And every marriage, is there, there's ups and downs. And so if, if you're dating or, or you're looking to get married, know this, it does not ever happen in this way where there is this perfect bliss that there is no issues whatsoever. There's ups and downs in marriages because the reality is uh, a perfect marriage doesn't exist. We are flawed people. How many of you know that, that we each have flaws, right? And if you don't agree with that, then... We'll talk about that. That's a whole other message for another time. Romans 3, 23. Anyways, okay. Uh, So we are flawed people, right? We are imperfect people. When we bring imperfections into a marriage, it's not like two wrongs make a right. You know what I'm saying? It just makes a whole other wrong. And so the reality is we mend these things together and we go, hey, your imperfections and my imperfections, hopefully they work out. It's not like Rocky Balboa saying she's got gaps and I got gaps. Together, we ain't got no gaps. That's not reality, people. That's not, together we just have a whole lot of gaps. And, and so we bring that into our, that wasn't in my notes. That was, that was the anointing. That just, let's just, Lord, we thank you for the manna from heaven. All right. Uh, but some of y'all are tweeting that one right now. You're like, Rocky doesn't know what he's talking about. But here's what happens is, is, is a lot of times our imperfections can lead to pain. They can lead to hurt. And it's not just the, oh, he's really bad at taking, you know, picking up his underwear at the end of the day. No, it's, it's, it's deeper than that, right? It's, it's real imperfections and hurts that we bring into this marriage and they can cause us to shut down and to shut off any, any want for, for spiritual intimacy with the other. And my challenge to you is this, keep an open heart. And, and I think that, that we find a great example of what to do uh, in Psalms 142, one and two. And it says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. And that's verses one and two out of 142. If you read the whole chapter, Psalm 142, you find this is David, who is the great psalmist, the great King David, is in probably the lowest moment of his life at this point. We find him, he is running for his life, hiding in a cave. And as you continue to read, you find that he says, I feel alone. I feel like nobody cares about me. I feel terrible. And what I love is that his response is not to shut down and hide that from us so that we've never read that. No, his response to the hurt and the pain that he's experiencing is to turn to the Lord. 
His response is to turn to the father and say, I need you to hear exactly how I feel right now. I need you to hear what what my requests are. I need you to hear these prayers that I'm bringing to you. Hear the hurt that I have. And what that does is allows his heart to stay open to the Lord. Instead of trying to hold it in and carry it on his own and try to make it happen by himself, he is running to the Lord with it. Sadly, this is a depiction of too many marriages that we have in our world today where one person feels isolated and alone. They feel hurt and they closed off, feel closed off to the other person as if they don't care about them anymore. And, and, and we shut down. And David has given us an incredible example to say, no, 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 no. Don't shut down. Run to the Father. Run to the Lord and say, hear me. Hear the hurt that I'm dealing with. Hear the, the, the trouble that I have. Understand where I'm at. And here's what I've learned is that even if it doesn't cause a shift in your spouse's heart, it keeps you soft and open to Christ. And that is vital. That is vital in understanding what the Lord wants to do in your marriage. It has to start with your own heart. We can't depend on our marriages more than we depend on God. Second thing in your notes today is this. Pursue Jesus more than your marriage. Pursue Jesus more than your marriage. And I, I mentioned briefly in the very beginning that that was my biggest struggle is I was pursuing Lauren and not Jesus at all. And it was not a recipe for health. That was not the recipe for a healthy marriage it was just constant pursuit of my wife and neglecting my relationship with Christ. It, it doesn't work that way. So we have to learn to pursue Jesus uh, more than ourselves. I love what, what Paul says in Philippians 3. He says, uh, everything is loss in comparison with the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Everything, meaning even your marriage, however great it may be, it is nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. That is the greatest thing we can ever experience in our life is the relationship with Christ. And when we begin to pursue him more than our marriage, we begin to understand that in a greater way. When we treasure Jesus above our spouse, we become the sort of person our spouse will want to draw close to. John Piper has said this. This is a really great, great statement. He says, if your marriage is going to make God look glorious, then you must find more satisfaction in God than in your marriage. Now, for me, I've said this. It wasn't easy for me in the beginning. I was so focused on making the marriage work that I neglected any attempt at spiritual growth. And I was focused on Lauren. It was an unhealthy pursuit. There's just all these things. And it took years before I realized my personal need for spiritual growth. It took years before it. And, and that's the sad reality growing up in the home of a pastor, growing up in the home of a father who I witnessed and watched daily spending time with the Lord. Yet it, it was never really a, a thought that occurred to me that, oh, I need to really do this. I knew I should do it, right? It was never a thing that said, I, I never had that rule like, oh man, I really should be doing this. You know what I mean? It took a few years of, of working through things and realizing, okay, not only is this the right thing to be doing, but man, I need this. I need this. And it got to the point to where I started waking up early and I said, you know what? I'm gonna commit myself uh, the next, you know, this one day. I don't even remember the exact day. I just remember going, man, I'm gonna wake up in the morning and I'm gonna spend time in the word and I'm gonna study the word of God. I'm gonna spend time in prayer. I wanna draw closer to the Lord. And then it became the next day and the next day and the next day. Now I'm gonna tell you right now, I am not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I found this desire for the Lord. And I began to pursue Jesus more than I pursued my marriage and I pursued my wife. What I find is that there, there's always things that can get in the way, right? But nothing 
compares to knowing Jesus. Nothing compares with the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our priorities need to be in alignment. Our priorities have to be in alignment. Uh, First of all, your marriage should be a priority, right? Your marriage needs to be a priority. But what happens is when our priorities get out of order, we end up with issues. And a lot of times the, the priorities become marriage, then Jesus, than other things. And, and, and Jesus should always be the number one priority in our life. Because at the end of the day, it's our relationship with Jesus that is what matters most, right? So our relationship with Jesus has to be the first priority. It has to be the first priority. Then our marriage needs to be the next priority. Not self, not, not occupation, not job. No, 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 no. So it needs to be Jesus, then our marriage, Here's another thing that I see happen with alignment and priorities is that it doesn't go marriage than Jesus. Sometimes we see other things taking that first spot and just continuing to bump other things down. And, and, and I'll pick on our relationship with our children for just a moment. It's easy for us to place our children in the first spot and then our marriage and then Jesus. And all of a sudden, the affection that should be going to our spouse is then being diverted to our children. And we focus so much on pleasing them and doing all of these things that it takes from and detracts from our marriage. And then when, if, if Jesus is then further down, that then removes the priority of having Jesus in our life. And, and, and it's easy for me to say on a Sunday morning, you need to be in church to a crowd that is in church, right? Like what good does that do me? You know, you're here, you get it. But, but understanding our priorities and where we need to place things. So it needs to be Jesus first and then our marriage. Everything else can fall in line after that. Now, that's not to say don't love your children, right? We passionately love our children. We have awesome boys and we love them dearly. And we tell them often, the only person we love more than each other is Jesus. They understand that. They know that. And I want them to understand that the only person they love more than mommy and daddy is Jesus. And, and we instill that in them because we have to pursue Jesus more than our marriage. Uh, one of the great things that I learned, I remember this sitting in Sunday school. Y'all remember Sunday school? I was in Sunday school in about seventh grade and I learned this and I use this all the time. How do you spell love? And the easy answer would be L-O-V-E, but you spell love T-I-M-E. What are you investing your time in? That reveals where your love and your affection is. So how much time are you giving to Jesus? Is it some? Is it a little? Is it, is it none? Is it a lot? What, whatever the case. Where is your affection at? Where is your time with Jesus? Are you pursuing that relationship more than the relationship with your spouse? Now, I can tell you this, and I know this for a fact. It is easier to pursue what is seen than what is unseen. But when there's a shift in an understanding of the heart of Jesus and what he has done for us, we find that there's so much more joy and satisfaction in the pursuit of Christ than we will ever find in the pursuit of our spouse. That is the first little bit of of what is necessary uh, in spiritual intimacy. Personal spiritual growth is important in creating spiritual intimacy. Uh, Just as personal spiritual growth is important and, and can help build spiritual intimacy, there are things that can kill spiritual intimacy. Yeah. And that's our third thought for today in your notes. We have to replace things that kill spiritual intimacy. Um, We live in a world full of distractions and deadlines. Would everybody agree with that? And uh, we have to strategically plan our days to fit everything in. And then I know that we can all agree there's been times where we think there's just not enough hours in the day to get done what I want to get done. And then when you throw kids in the mix, you're like, a whole new world. I mean, seriously. And so, um, and I, I've said to Ryan several times, what did we do with our time before kids? 
I, I, wish, really I wish we had a magic carpet. I don't know. I mean, seriously, we could break out into that right now. We won't, but we could. But what I'm saying is whether you have kids or not, honestly, we all fill our, our schedules and our days with the craziness that just life is. And it's really easy to put on the back burner the most important things, the most life-giving things, or to not give them any chance at all. And um, it can keep us from ever giving spiritual intimacy in our marriages a chance. And it can keep us distracted. And if there's anything that the enemy loves more, it's he wants to keep us distracted. And as I was studying this, I came across a great definition that I thought was just perfect for what we were talking about today uh, for distraction. And distraction can mean extreme agitation of the mind and emotions, extreme agitation of the mind and emotions. And I would venture to say that an agitated mind and an agitated emotions is not an open door for deepening of spiritual intimacy in our marriages. It doesn't sound like a recipe for success. Would you agree? Not at all. And so many of us live in that state. And so here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4, through 24. Here's what he says. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We have to be made new in the attitudes of our minds. Because here's the thing, we all bring attitudes and habits into the marriage and then they keep on going or into a relationship and then they keep on going and it can be a distraction that gets in the way of spiritual intimacy. But the important thing for us to do is to call those things out, to realize what those things are and to do what Ephesians says when it says to put off our old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires because deception is a slippery slope and can cause division really quickly. And so God is telling us, let go of the selfish desires. Put on the new that I've intended for you, that I've created you to be. Because the thing is, God desires that our marriages are deepening, deepening spiritually. He did not create marriage for us to just survive. He wants us to thrive and flourish. He didn't create it to be some half-hearted, empty thing. He created it to be a full thing, a fullness that he created it to be. So we have to ask ourselves, what are the things that are killing spiritual intimacy or the potential for spiritual intimacy? Maybe it's your words. Are the words that you speak to one another life-giving? Man, words are powerful and they can cause division and walls really quickly. I had to learn this early on in my marriage. I, I can be a strong kind of personality. God love you. I love you. And um, I had to learn really you. early on in our marriage that the way I say something is really important. Sometimes the way that I would ask Ryan something or say something to him would come across kind of harsh. And I didn't even mean it to be harsh. But I quickly learned that the way I say things is so important and really it makes a world of a difference. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's expectations. Are you placing unrealistic expectations on him or her? And expectations is a big one. I know uh, when Ryan does premarital counseling with couples that are getting married, he does this homework assignment for them at one point. 
And um, they have to list out all the expectations they have for themselves coming into uh, the marriage. And then they have to list all the expectations that they are thinking uh, for, their other, for their spouse to come into the marriage. And it's so important and such a great exercise because unrealistic expectations cause such frustrations. We have to understand that we can't be putting unrealistic expectations on our spouse, especially when we are looking to them to be God for us. We got to think about that. And so uh, another thing, are, are you um, expectations, words, or what about your thoughts? Where are your thoughts? Are they pure? Are they pleasing? Man, this is a huge one. And we can read in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, where it says, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Here's the cool thing about that, that you, you really need to grasp with the scripture. This scripture should give you so much hope because We can take captive every thought. Mm -hmm. It is possible through the Holy Spirit. We take captive every thought. And then Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you haven't caught on our thoughts, what we're dwelling on, it's so important because it can quickly also build that wedge between us and and keep us from diving in truly to spiritual intimacy with one another. And then this one, it seems, oh, whatever, Lauren, but hear me, it's very relevant for today. Are you choosing social media over your spouse? I know that sounds silly, but you're like, what are you talking about? No, have you started becoming jealous of a relationship highlight reel that you see and come on, let's be honest, it's a highlight reel. Because at some point, he forgot to take the trash out for the 50th time. Yeah. And she's not gazing into his eyes the way she is in that picture. I promise you that when, when he forgot for the 50th time. So have you fallen down that slippery slope of jealousy of a highlight reel that you've been seeing? And then it's hindering you from truly experiencing a connection and a love with your partner that God has intended it to be. Because here's what I know. Our marriages are worth fighting for. Our marriages are worth fighting for. And ridding ourselves of the things that kill spiritual intimacy will open up our hearts, not just to be connected with one another, but to be connected with our Heavenly Father. We have to kill those things that are causing that because God, like I said, He wants us to experience marriage in the fullness. Man, that word just gets me. Mm-hmm. The fullness that he intended it to be, which means we're going to have to dig a little bit deeper than we ever have before. And guys, we're going to have to be a little more vulnerable than we've ever been before. All the guys are like, oh gosh, I don't want to be vulnerable. I know, (laughs) but we're going to have to be in order to experience this fullness. So the fourth thing in your notes today, intentionally share your weaknesses intentionally share your weaknesses. Now, as a woman and all the women in the room, we like to share and we like to overshare. Yes, it is proven, proven, Proven. and I know you agree, that women talk more than men in any given day. And all the men said, amen. Amen. Okay. Yes, it is true. And so we as women, we want to say something 20 different ways to get our point across. Yes? Yes. I didn't ask for you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, 20 different ways. And men, on the other hand, they want to stay quiet. They want to stay quiet in the moments when we just want to know what you're thinking. What are you feeling? Right, women? Yes. Thank you. Somebody's here with me. Uh, I don't know how many times, uh, like I, I've actually said this before, I think on here, 
where um, I've asked Ryan, hey, what are you thinking about, babe? And he'll be like, nothing. Do you want me to explain nothing for just a moment? I don't know if I do. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go ahead. Here's the deal. So it, yes, nothing, because what it boils down to is the thought that I'm having is so useless that it is nothing, right? We'll drive down the road and I'm looking out going, oh, there's a lot of trees on the side of the road. <laughs> that doesn't... But that's a detail that, that I want to know. doesn't amount to anything. No, yeah. So anyway, nothing. And I always think, man... I will never reach the state of nothing in my life. I mean, like, my mind is going, okay? And so uh, it's just funny that women want to share and, and men usually don't. But the thing is, I think that we can agree on something, that all of us really kind of struggle to share our weaknesses, let alone share them intentionally. It, it's one thing to have a glaring weakness uh, be revealed like the elephant in the room, but it's another thing to share that intentionally. It's really difficult. And pride tempts us to hide our struggles. It tempts us to hide our struggles. But when we believe what Titus 3, 5 says, when we really get this in our heart, that God saved us, not because of works done by us, but in righteousness, according to his mercy, letting our spouse in on failure or weaknesses becomes natural and fosters spiritual closeness. It causes us to then build a bridge and not a wall. Because the reality of it is, we all have weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Newsflash, we all have weaknesses. But the problem is when we get so accustomed to calling out the weaknesses in our spouse and not being humble enough to share our own. Because calling out weaknesses in someone else with a prideful heart is a cowardly attempt to make yourself feel better somehow. We have to be willing, we have to be humble enough to share our weaknesses with one another because pride is unattractive. Pride is unattractive, but humility is attractive. Uh, like he talked about earlier, we love sports in our home. I legit love sports. Like. When we were first dating, his mom and sisters revealed this to me later. They thought, oh my gosh, she just like, she's just trying to impress him. Like she's watching the game, you know? And I'm like, this is what I do because I grew up in a home where my mother was like, oh my gosh, fanatic about sports. And so um, it's easy for me to think of analogy with sports because we just, we love sports. Yes. So when it comes to pride, when you think of a professional athlete, that is so cocky, so arrogant. Every time he's doing his interview, he's talking about how he's some gift to the world and all his landish remarks just make people's skin crawl because pride is unattractive. But then you have the athlete who is so humble. He is so gracious. He's so thankful for his teammates and those who have helped him along on the journey. And, and sometimes when he makes mistakes, he's quick to call those out and interview and thank his teammates for helping where he lacked because Humility is attractive and everyone wants to cheer that guy on because God's way is humility. Mm -hmm. God's way is humility. And sharing our weaknesses and our failures with one another is an open door to freedom. There is such a freedom that comes through um, admitting our weaknesses, but then also repenting for them when we need to because God designed it that way. What was once in the dark can now be brought into light. And pride can not only be put aside, but it can be shattered. Yeah. See, pride is a controlling thing. Mm -hmm. It is a binding thing. 
And God hates pride. He wants us to rid ourselves from pride. The scripture talks about how pride actually comes before the fall. There is no success in pride. We have to be humble enough to share with one another. And the thing is, we have to remember that pride can show itself in so many different ways because you might think you're not a prideful person and yet yet you're so cautious to protect this perfect image that you portray. And that keeps you from sharing your weaknesses with one another. I I know for us, this was a huge revelation in our marriage. And when pride was set aside, there was such um, a freedom that previously exists in our marriage. And truly, we began to have a a, a better marriage than we ever had experienced before. Um, It was very humbling, but it was so right. And uh, there was an outpouring of peace in our home uh, like we hadn't experienced before. Because when we became vulnerable with one another, and ultimately, when we became obedient to Christ, because that's what this is. This is obedience to the Father. When we became obedient to Him and shared our weaknesses, we did begin to build that bridge between one another and tear down some walls that we didn't even realize we had put uh, put up with one another. But it took us being really determined that we were going to keep an openness with one another. And it wasn't always easy. I think no. you would agree with me. Uh, no, it, it was yeah. not the easiest easiest path to walk. Uh, in fact, it was difficult and it was painful, um, yet it was a healing moment in our marriage and begin to mend things and, and really uh, restore peace that we didn't realize was even lacking. Uh, it was that wall that we didn't know was up and, and it was that pride being removed and set aside that allowed us to have a healing moment in our marriage and then begin to see health quickly progress. It was as if we were stepping into finally for the first time spiritual intimacy um, in a real way and not just a, a weak and feeble attempt, but it was a, a real uh, moment of spiritual intimacy. And here's the, here's the reality is we had to learn to be patient with each other and to be persistent in, in quote unquote, in the process, right? We had to be persistent in the pursuit of spiritual intimacy. It didn't happen overnight and it didn't happen in one fell swoop where there was this breaking of, of pride and a humility that overcame and all of a sudden it was perfect. No, again, it, we had to learn to be, pers- be patient and persistent and that's number five in your notes today. Um, and it's gonna be backwards on the screens because I changed the order yesterday. So that's my fault on that one, so... We have to learn to be patient and persistent. We should expect failures and setbacks. We don't hope for them. We don't long for them. We just expect them, right? Because we're flawed people and we've discussed that. Uh, Lauren and I have our failures and we have our flaws and I have more than her. Um, I'm pretty taken taken aback by her, so you should know that. Um, There's one thing that you will learn about me is I am quite smitten with this girl right here. So that's, uh, that's the truth of the matter. But we should expect there to be failures and flaws and, and setbacks in our marriage. We don't hope for those things. We just are aware that they're gonna happen. And in that, we learn to be patient with each other. Because once we've reached that state of vulnerability and we're intentionally sharing our weaknesses, we can say, hey, uh, this happened, right? This was a weakness of mine. This was a struggle. This is a failure. And I need to let you know. And we learn to be patient with that person. But then we don't give up in that moment. We stay persistent in the pursuit of spiritual intimacy. Uh, there's always hope for a new beginning because God's mercy and faithfulness for your marriage truly never come to an end. And we can read that in Lamentations 3 about, uh, about the mercy of God, that it doesn't end. It's, 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 it's ongoing, right? 
And we can walk in that. And we have to learn to press on to know him. Uh, in an entity like the church, like this church, for example, I, I seek the voice of God for our church, right? I ask for him to give me a fresh word, a fresh revelation for that week, you know, and, and say, God, what are you speaking to our church? What do you want it to share with me to then speak to the people, right? And that's the way it works in church. And you come on Sundays hoping to have a fresh word from the Lord and not just a regurgitation of something you heard elsewhere or me just hitting play on a podcast, right? You, you hope and anticipate, and by the way, I'm never gonna hit play on a podcast on a Sunday morning, but you hope and anticipate that I'm gonna hear from the Lord and I'm gonna bring that word. It's the same way in our marriages, right? If, if marriage is supposed to be a reflection of Christ in the church, who Christ is speaking to us, right? To speak to the church, it should be the same way in our homes. It should be the same way in our homes where we are seeking the voice of God for our families, for our marriages and hearing from him and then sharing those things. And now those things don't happen overnight. It requires persistence. It requires continually seeking those things. And, and I'm gonna go off script for just a quick second here and, and say this. Men, I'm gonna challenge you. Men, we were called to be the priest of our homes. The Bible is clear on that. The Bible is clear on that. So I am challenging you to step up and be the priest of your homes. I'm not saying here in, in a state of perfection, I'm not the greatest at this. That is just full disclosure and vulnerability here. I'm not, but as the men of our church, as the men in our homes, the men's in our, men of our families, we need to lead our homes. That wasn't in the notes, but that just, the need was, was there and needed to be said. Um, I promise you this, any, anything that you feel you have to give up to make spiritual intimacy happen in your marriage will be worth it. Your marriages are worth it. Your husband is worth it. Your wife is worth it. God has created an incredible union in this incredible entity called marriage and it is worth fighting for. What, that may mean, okay, you're gonna wake up 10 minutes earlier and you're gonna read a scripture together and pray over each other. And that may be where you begin. I promise you that 10 minutes of sleep you just gave up is worth it. That may mean you stay up 10 minutes later and, and you do the same. That may mean you have to turn off the TV and put down the cell phone. I promise you it's worth it. It's worth it. Think about this. What do you want your children to see your marriage like? You know, what example do you want your kids to see? Do you, do you want them to see a marriage that is, that is healthy, spiritually intimate, that is growing together in the Lord and the understanding of the gospel and who he is? And, and God is being revealed to us through our marriages all the time where he's speaking into our homes. Or, or do you want it to be stale and, 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 and on autopilot. And here's, I read something that said, uh, anything that stays on autopilot will crash. At some point, it's going to run into something because there's nothing just shifting or moving. Do you want it to be stale or, or do you want it to be this thriving and flourishing marriage? The last thing is this, choose something to do together. And I don't mean like going rock climbing or checking out a Rangers game, right? No, uh, yes, go on dates, uh, go on dates. But I mean this, Find somewhere to start. Find something to read together, a devotion to work through together. Find something that, that, that causes there to be a, a, a spark that begins to burn in spiritual intimacy. Whether that's a devotional or you say, hey, we're gonna read through this book of the Bible together or we're gonna start this book together that is going to help us to walk through growing in spiritual intimacy. Find something to do together. 
Find something, look for something, and, and, and don't just hope that it happens by chance. This is where we have to be intentional, right? We have to take necessary steps. We have to do things in a way that says, okay, I am going to pursue this person, right? I'm going to pursue this relationship. I'm going to pursue my marriage. And in that, I'm, I'm pursuing Christ above all things. Find something. Here's my thing. I don't like to just tell you to do something and not resource you. This week, if you are in our, our system as a couple, you will receive an email every day this week of a marriage devotional. We, we want to resource you, right? We want to give you things that says, hey, let's take the next steps in growing in spiritual intimacy. We want to we wanna place that in your hands. Also, if you wanted to uh, opt into that, if you want to jump in on that, again, uh, connect.gracehill.cc is a great place for you to go and, and, and get connected to that. But I believe heavily in saying, okay, if we ask you to do something, I don't want to just throw it on you and say, good luck, pat you on the back, have a great week. No, we want to resource you. We want to put things in your hands that say, hey, let me help you grow. As a church, we believe heavily in marriages. We believe strongly in your marriage. We believe that, that God wants to, to heal and restore And I also believe this, if you've gone through heartache and pain and you've gone through severed relationships, if you've gone through divorce, I believe this, God wants to heal and restore. God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. His love is never ending. And he wants to pour out his love on you and say, hey, be healed, be restored. Be healed, be restored. I know that through this, that sometimes these kind of messages can stir up heartache. And I don't want to ever act as if I'm oblivious or unaware because I I know that pain is real. I know that hurts are real, emotional or or spiritual, whatever it may be. It's not just physical pain we feel, right? Sometimes our emotional pain hurts so much it physically hurts, right? And there is grace and there is love. And the Father still, he loves you. And he wants to hold you and just pour out his love on you. And through these kind of messages, he's saying, hey, there's still ways we can grow. There's still ways we can grow. There's still restoration and healing. There's just so many things that we can do. But I never want to ask you to do something without resourcing you. So you'll receive that that email this week, throughout the week, and then we'll give you other resources and things you can check out and just so that you can invest in your marriage, that you can take time to say, hey, we are going to be a marriage built on the word of God. We're gonna be a marriage built on relationship with Christ. And we're gonna lead our families in spiritual health and we're gonna to reveal to them what spiritual intimacy looks like. I'm gonna pray over you, but then after that, we will, we will give away the date night. Yeah, she didn't forget. I did. That's good, right? It's one of those like, oh yeah, we promised you that and we have it. But join me because I'm, I'm gonna do this. As I pray, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you are with your spouse, I'm going to ask you to hold their hand. Uh, If you are are single, I'm going to ask that you begin to pray over your future spouse uh, and say, God, help me to be the person I need to be to be in a spiritually healthy relationship. And Lord, I pray over whoever it is you're leading me to marry in the future that they will be spiritually healthy. But in this moment, I want you to pray over your spouse I want you to pray over them and say, God, help us to tear down any walls, help us to build bridges and help us to create spiritual intimacy. 
I misunderstood intimacy in, in, in the beginning of marriage, right? There was things that I had backwards. I didn't know. It, it, was, it, was, it was unhealthy. It really was unhealthy. Uh, we liked each other. That was the, the beauty of it all. And it's still through all of it, we still liked each other, uh, even in the midst of our mess that we didn't even realize we had. Uh, that's, I like to call that grace. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is not on my own doing. That is, thank you, Jesus. But... But pray over your spouse and then pray over your future spouse. But I'm gonna pray over you and us as well. So Father, we love you. God, we thank you that you have blessed us with a partner in life. Lord, that you have given us someone to walk with us on our journey through this earth, Lord. And not just to be a, 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 a companion, but Lord, to truly be spiritually intimate with, to know you more with. So Lord, I pray over every marriage in our church. I ask God that your Holy Spirit will be poured out on them, that you'll just allow them to grow in their spiritual intimacy. Lord, I pray that that pride will be torn down, that humility will be taken on, that that weaknesses will be shared, Lord, that walls will be torn down, that that things that are separating, that are driving a wedge between others, Lord, will begin to come down, that we can begin to see healing and the mending of the relationships that you have brought together in this church. Lord, we believe and we know that marriage is meant to be a reflection of the union of Christ and the church. And so God, let our marriages begin to reflect your grace, your love, your mercy, Lord, and your pursuit of the church as we pursue you and then pursue one another, Lord. And I ask, oh God, that your Holy Spirit will begin to fill these relationships. And God, we pray over those that are not currently married, but are possibly looking and one day will be married. Lord, we ask that you create in them the person they are supposed to be, who you have called them to be, so they can be equipped and ready for the healthy marriage that you have called them into. And we pray over whoever it is that you are leading them to marry. We ask, oh God, that your word be spoken clearly and that you begin to reveal the right things in relationships. Lord, we praise you for it. We give you glory. We give you honor for it, knowing, God, that you are capable, Lord, and that only you are worthy of all praise, God. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Isn't God good? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.